0: The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. John 13, starting in verse 1. Uh, Hey, we're in a series called Live Like Jesus. uh, And essentially, the uh, essence of this series is uh, that we are learning, hopefully, how to be more and more like our Savior Jesus. We're taking a different sort of attribute um, or part of who He was. Um, every night and just kind of pondering it, dwelling on it. And so tonight we're going to be looking at what it means to serve like Jesus. And I want to start off by just reading God's Word together, reading the text. Uh, My goal tonight is not for you to walk away with a concept, not for you to walk away with a nice packaged sermon, or to walk away even thinking, oh, that was that was profound or cool. Uh, My goal is for you to walk away loving John 13. (laughs) My my goal is for you to walk away um, and say, I want to go home and read John 13 again, and I want to read it on my own, because um, you'll forget everything I'll tell you, but what you won't forget is where to go to find that truth, right? You'll remember John 13 uh, is is the heartbeat of what it is to be a servant. So let's read it together, uh, and then we'll get started. John 13, verse 1, it says this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, (laughs) do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, <laughs> okay, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, and you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is God's word. Lord, we thank you tonight that you are so blessed admirable, admirable, that every action that you take, everything that you do, Jesus, is inspiring for us. Lord, that we can learn from your life, that we can look at how you interacted and how you served and how you loved and how you spoke, and we can learn what it is to be a Christian by looking at your life. And I pray that tonight we would humbly submit ourselves under the authority of your scriptures. God, we even stand in now in honor of your scripture. We hold ourselves in its authority and we ask Holy Spirit that you would do what you do best. Magnify Christ through the truth of the scriptures. Make much of him in our hearts that our knees might bow before the King of Kings as we see him portrayed as he is. Lord, we love you. We invite you. Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat, guys. So, why should we learn... To serve like Jesus. Why is Jesus worth looking at when we ask the question, how should we be a servant? I want to read you guys a statement that I wrote, and, and I, don't, I don't flippantly read this. This is something that, that is probably one of the most intriguing, amazing realities that I've ever come across in the scripture. And it's not only in this text. We see it all throughout the Bible. But I want to read you why I think Jesus is worth observing as a model of servanthood. Here's why. No one in history ever had more right to be served. No one in history ever had more right to be served by humanity than Jesus. Yet, No one in history has ever done more to serve humanity than Jesus. I want to read that again because I want this to hit you, and I'll spend the rest of this teaching running after this truth. No one in history ever had more right to be served than Jesus. Yet no one in history has ever done more to serve humanity than Jesus. This is an amazing paradigm. This is an amazing reality that we see in the Scriptures If we can agree that Jesus is the ultimate, which I'm assuming most of us as Christians would agree, okay, so Jesus is the ultimate picture of what it is to be a servant, okay, if we can agree on that, then we have to ask the next question, and is how do we become a servant like Jesus? If Jesus is the greatest servant because he, more than anyone, did not have to serve, but yet he chose to serve us, then how do we become servants like Jesus? That's a big question. This is a big thing to tackle. How do we do that? It's a much harder question to ask. I think in order to answer that question, we have to ask an even harder question. Not only how do we become a good servant like Jesus, okay, we have to go deeper than that. And we have to ask an even harder question, and that is this. Why did Jesus choose to serve us in the first place? <sighs> why did Jesus choose to serve humanity? That question baffles me. I can't get my head around it. I've been thinking about it for three weeks now in anticipation for this teaching. Why, Jesus, did you, the creator of the universe, the star breather, the one who answers to no one, who has been before the foundations of the earth, secure in the Godhead, the Trinity, why did you choose to step out of the Trinity into humanity, into a body, and hang on a cross separated from the Father? to serve humanity in the greatest single act of servanthood that any human being has ever, ever done. Why did he do that? We take it for granted. It's just something we think about. Yeah, yeah, Jesus was a servant. Of course he was. Why? Why did Jesus serve? Think about this. Kings don't take the position of slaves. Kings don't do that. Kings don't get on their knees and wash feet Of mere creatures, right? Of of mere people. They don't do that. The creator doesn't serve creation. Leaders don't lead from positions of weakness, do they? Leaders lead from positions of power and authority and dominance, right? This This is the way that life is. True power only serves sacrificially when it's forced to, right? That's why we have checks and balances in our government. If we don't have checks and balances, our government will not stay true. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely, right? Right? Strength is the absence of weakness, right? This is the world we live in, right? So why is Jesus, the source of all power in the universe, serving his creation? Why is he on his knees in this text, wiping mud and probably feces off the feet of sinful men? Doesn't make any sense. Why is he serving Humanity, it's a really tough question. Jesus, all of these paradigms that I just listed, Jesus busts those apart in this text. He completely bursts them apart. And he blows the minds of the disciples who are the recipients of this lesson. And we get to enter the room tonight into when Jesus actually gave this lesson to his disciples and and, and observe it and learn what we can about it. And I'm pretty excited. Now, there's a couple things uh, we're going we're gonna to exegete this. So we're going to go verse by verse. And I want to point out a couple things that John, who wrote this apostle, thought it was very important for us to know. Now, Jesus is going to teach his disciples a lesson tonight, okay? He's going to teach them a lesson about what it is to be a servant. And hopefully, he's going to answer this question of why would he serve humanity? Okay, he's going to teach them a lesson. Uh, and before the lesson is displayed, John, the one who wrote this book, now don't forget, okay, this was not dropped from heaven We're not Mormons, we don't believe it fell in some kind of golden tablet. This was penned by a man, a unique relationship between God, the Holy Spirit, and man. And and, and God partnered with man to create the scriptures, to write the scriptures. It's it's divinely inspired, but yet it has a human author. It's incredible. So when we read John chapter 13, John is, is, is strategically placing certain things in this text that we need to know. In the first three verses of chapter 13, he's making sure that we understand some things about what, about what Jesus is thinking, what has happened up to this point, what is going to happen after this point, and what John is signaling to, to us is that, hey, before you read about Jesus washing their feet and giving them this lesson, know these things, okay? So what, what does he tell us? Look at verse 1. The first thing he tells us is the setting of the lesson. Verse 1 says, before the feast, now before the feast of the Passover, Okay, now this tells us, now I know you guys are just dropping right into this. We're not teaching through the book of John, so you're just kind of parachute dropping right into John 13. Let me give you the context. Okay, this is, this is the end of Jesus' ministry. It's the last evening that he has with his disciples. The Passover feast is at hand. Things are in motion. Okay, uh, this event that we're going to look at, this lesson that Jesus teaches his disciples, it shares the same oxygen as the sacrament of communion. When Jesus broke bread and said, drink this cup and and eat this bread in remembrance of me, this is the same exact place that Jesus decides to teach this lesson. That tells me this is a pretty important thing we need to learn. Then John tells us the urgency of the lesson in verse 1. He says, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus, what, knew that his hour had come. Okay, there's an urgency to this lesson Jesus is going to teach his disciples because he knows That in a matter of hours, he will be in the garden, sweating drops of blood, when Judas will lead a group of soldiers to arrest him, to take him to an illegal trial in the middle of the night at the house of Caiaphas, where he will be condemned illegally, and by the morning, he will be on the cross, dead." In a matter of hours, what Jesus is about to do in this moment when he stoops down, I mean, if you just drop in and read this and think, okay, Jesus washed their feet, big deal. Jesus washed their feet with the cross looming over him. In a matter of hours, he would have an anxiety attack about just how severe the cross would be for him. This is what's going on in the mind of Christ as he teaches this lesson to his disciples. He's thinking about this. And John makes sure we know he, that we know this as the, as the reader. John says, don't forget, Jesus, as he washes the disciples' feet, is thinking about the fact that it's hours before he will go to the cross. There's an urgency to this lesson. In verse 1, we also see the nature of the lesson. It says, having loved his own who were in the world He loved them to the end. I think that sentence is fascinating. John, before he gets into the lesson, he wants to make sure that you and I, the reader, understand something about the nature of this lesson that Jesus is going to teach. And that is that what Jesus is about to do and teach them is saturated in eternal love for them. And notice that it says in the text, look at your Bible, it says, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved what? his own. Now, Jesus loves the whole world. He says that in John 3.16, correct? Jesus loves the world. But Jesus has a unique and a special love for his own. Jesus did not wash the feet of the whole world. He washed the feet of his twelve. He washed the feet of his own. And Jesus is doing something in this moment that is a unique and a special affection for his people, his friends, his own. And I love that John tells us that he not only loved them perfectly up until this point, but he loved them to the what? To the end. Everything Jesus did for them was loving. It was perfect love. Listen to what Arthur Pink, the commentator, said about this passage. He said, Quote, he loved them to the end, not only unto the last, but to the furthest extent of their need and of his grace. He knew that Philip would misunderstand him, that that three of them would sleep while he prayed and agonized, that Peter would deny him, that Thomas would doubt him, that all would forsake him, yet he loved them unto the end. And so it is with us, dear Christian reader, his own are the object of his love. Unto the end is the extent of his love. He loves us unto the end of our miserable failures, unto the end of our wandering, the end of our backsliding, unto the end of our unworthiness, unto the end of our deep need. Jesus bared with them until the end. And what he does in this lesson that we are going to hopefully learn tonight is not done for no reason. It is done because he loves us them immensely. He loves them immensely. And what he is about to do in washing their feet is simply an anticipation of what he was about to do on the cross. Right now, I'm showing you my love by washing your feet. In a matter of hours, I will show you my love in a way that you will never fully understand, by giving my life for you. He loved his disciples. He said, greater love is no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his what? For his friends. They were his friends. They were his own. This is the way Jesus thinks about you. Did you know that believer? You are his own. He has loved you. He is loving you. He will love you until the end. Everything that he does, he's calling you to obedience. Even the hard times. Everything he does is out of love for you. He loves you and will love you till the end. We also see in verse 3 the demand of this lesson that he's going to teach. This verse is fascinating to me. It says in verse 3, look at the text. It says, Jesus knowing that the Father. No, notice what what John is doing. He's saying, Jesus knowing that. Jesus is thinking about this. This is what's on his mind. Before he gets up from the table to wash his feet, he's thinking about this. This is what's, I mean, you guys ever had something intense on your mind? You can't think about anything else? You're trying to have a conversation with someone. You're trying to go to work. You're trying to do, and there's something that is completely consuming your brain. John lets us know. This is what's on Jesus' mind. He says, Jesus knowing, verse 3, that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. There is a stewardship that has been placed on the back of Christ in this moment that he is not taking lightly. Jesus knows that, <laughs> that his entire 33 years as a human, fully God, fully man, his entire 33 years have been leading up to this moment. And that for the, this certain amount of time, the Holy Spirit has been with him, has been empowering him, has been leading him, the Father has, has been leading him and guiding him, but there's coming a moment and just a little bit where God will turn his back on Jesus. Where where God the Father and God the Son will be separated for the first time in eternity that we know of. There is a separation between God the Father and God the Son. And Jesus is thinking about this, is stressing to him. If you don't believe me, look at how he reacted in the garden. It's stressing to him. This stewardship has been given to Jesus to purchase his church, to purchase his bride. And what he's about to do in this lesson he's about to teach is is done with the weight of the stewardship of his church that he is going to pay for, his bride, the kingdom that he is about to purchase. It's on his mind. You know why CEOs and presidents and, and things like that get paid good money? It's not because they work long hours. It's because they choose to take on themselves a great level of stress. People don't pay CEOs of corporations major money to work long hours. They don't care if you work long hours. They care if you get results. And they care if you are willing to take on the stewardship and the weight of a large corporation or country or whatever it is. Jesus has been given by the Father all stewardship in this moment. He's the one that has to carry this out. That's why Jesus in the garden says if there's any other way For me to not have to purchase the kingdom in this way, can I do it? And God says, no, it's yours, buddy. you got to do this. This is your stewardship. Only Jesus could carry this burden. Only Jesus could go to the cross. Only Jesus could atone for all sin. Only Jesus could break the rift that Adam broke in the garden. To heal the rift that Adam broke in the garden. Only Jesus could do that. And he knows in this moment that that weight is there. That weight is on his shoulder. He's considering that thinking about that. So then we finally get to the lesson. We finally get to the lesson in verse 4 and 5. So after all those things are going through Jesus' mind, in verse 4, he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garment. Now they're not sitting at a table, okay? They're they're on the floor. When you eat in the Middle East, you you sit on on the floor, okay? He's reclining. He's there. They're about to have a meal together. He gets up He walks over. He he takes off his outer garment. Now, they wore two garments, the the, the underwear, essentially the undergarment and the outer garment. He takes off his outer garment. He's he's vulnerable. He's exposing his vulnerableness in in this moment. He sets it aside, takes a towel. He ties it around his waist, which which would have immediately brought into those that were sitting there, the disciples, immediately would have brought to them an understanding that I am taking the posture of a slave. He pours water into a basin and he begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, we in the 21st century, we read that and we think big deal. I mean, that's a little weird, you know, but maybe maybe that was a thing, you know. This would have been scandalous to them. This would have been completely unheard of. Let, let me let me try to explain why. First of all, and you may have heard this before, but, but, but in, in the ancient days, they didn't wear closed-toed shoes. They wore open-toed sandals. The roads were not concrete. The roads were dirt. The roads were full of mud and feces and all kinds of disgusting things. And they didn't take a shower every day like we did. Okay? Now, they weren't unhygienic. They just didn't take a shower. So their feet were gross. They were caked. And my feet are gross enough as it is, right? I mean... Guy, you know, guys' feet. I love my wife's feet. But you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're gross enough as it is. Now, Jesus, in stooping to do this, he's signaling even just more than that. He, he is actually signaling that, that I am a slave. Now listen, you, it was unheard of. It was not something that you did. You did not wash even a peer-to-peer relationship. There is a, 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 an account in history of a rabbi whose mother asked to wash his feet to try to honor him. He would not let her because he said it would be too disgraceful. And she actually took him to court over it. This is how disgraceful it would have been considered to wash someone's feet. Peers didn't wash peers' feet. Um, The only people that were allowed to wash feet were Gentile slaves or women slaves. A Jewish man, even if he was a slave, was not allowed to wash another man's feet. It was too dishonorable. This was a low position. This was not something that you did. Now, every single one of the disciples would have been extremely uncomfortable because Jesus isn't even just a peer. Jesus is their rabbi. And they know by this time that he is Messiah. He is the Lord. And here is Jesus on his knees wanting to wash their feet. Everyone would have been so tense. What is going on? Why is he doing that? This is awkward. If they had the word then, they probably would have used it. This is straight up awkward. Why is Jesus doing this? This doesn't make any sense. It's scandalous. And Jesus knows that. And he chooses the severity of this illustration to teach them a very important lesson. Now I want to skip ahead to verse 12, and I want you to read Jesus' explanation of the lesson with me once again. Verse 12, When he had washed their feet, put on his outer garments, and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? And I'm sure they're all wanting to know. (laughs) like We'd love to know why you just did that because that was totally weird. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What is Jesus trying to get across you? What is the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach that is so important. The first thing that Jesus says in this is, is he notice he says, "I'm not a slave." He makes that abundantly clear. He says, do you understand what I've done to you? He says, you call me teacher and Lord. And you're right. I am teacher and Lord. He does not debate that. Jesus isn't trying to say that, oh, I'm a slave. He's not trying to say that at all. Jesus is not their slave. Jesus is the creator of the universe. All things were made by him and for him. Okay? Jesus will rule and reign from, from a throne eternal someday. He is their Lord in every possible way. And Jesus does not refute that. He says, you call me Lord, and you are right. So the first thing Jesus wants to get across to them is, don't even think for a second that I'm trying to say that somehow you, you know, I'm subservient to you. I'm not. It's not what he's trying to say at all. He's also not trying to say that the disciples are slaves. He's not trying to say that they should be slaves or calling them to be slaves. He he, John 15 13, just a chapter later, he he says, No longer do I call you servants. For servants do not know what his master is doing. So he's not calling them to become slaves. He's not calling them to do that necessarily. Romans 8 12, Paul says, We are not debtors to the flesh. Okay, so you and I as believers, we 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 don't owe anything to anything in the world. We are completely free. We are not debtors to the flesh, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So don't don't misunderstand. Jesus isn't saying that, hey, you need to go become a slave. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you're free. I'm God. He's saying, you are adopted. So why is he doing that? Why, Why is he washing their feet? Here's the reason. A true servant is to go low when you could go high. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying that what it really means to be a servant is not someone who is, is bound to servanthood, someone who has to serve, someone who has to get down on, the feet, on their knees and wash feet. A servant is not someone who's bound to that. A servant is someone who isn't bound to it, but yet chooses to do it anyway. A servant is someone who has power, but sets it aside and chooses not to use it. A, a servant is someone who is powerful, but can still stoop p- to become a servant. Look at, look at what he says. He says, if I then, verse 14, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. In other words, if me, the greatest human being in the world, God incarnate can get on my knees and wash your feet, then how much more should you wash each other's feet? Being a servant is not someone who is forced to be one. It's not someone who is just weak. Being a servant is someone who chooses to set aside his power. And Jesus is the ultimate example. He says, if I can do this, how much more can you do this? This is really an amazing concept here. I really want really try to try to double-click on that a little bit more and, 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 and get you to understand how amazing of a concept. We are not slaves to this world. We don't owe anything to this world. Paul makes that abundantly clear. We have the spirit of adoption. We are heirs forever. Of the Most High God, we are the Bride of Christ. Jesus is God incarnate. He owes nothing to anyone. We owe nothing to anyone except God, right? He's the only one we answer to. So why is he putting himself in the position of a slave and then telling us that we should put ourselves in position? Why is he doing that? He's doing it. He's doing it because he says, this represents my heart. This represents my heart. God is so confident in His power that he does not need to sit in a way that everyone can see it. He's so confident in his power that he can take the posture of a slave, and he doesn't worry about it. Paul picks up the same idea. We see this flushed out in Paul's life, right? Paul in Romans 1:1, 1, 1, he says, "Paul, a bond servant of God." Paul, a bond servant of Christ, right? And then in 1 Corinthians 9:18, he says, "For though I am free from all, okay, he makes that distinction. I'm free from everybody." I'm not a slave to anyone, but I have made myself a servant to all. Where did Paul get that? He got it from Jesus. Paul's not a slave. He's a Roman citizen, right? Paul's not a slave. He's he's a a child of the Most High God. He's adopted into the kingdom of God. He's an apostle, for crying out loud. But he says, I choose to make myself a slave to all men. Why? That I might win some of them that I might win some of them. How is he going to win them? Because God says, I want you to represent me, and the way I want you to represent me is I want you to model how I was a servant. Paul is modeling how Christ was a servant, setting aside his power. Yes, he, he had every right, Jesus had every right to rule. Jesus had every right to tell them, hey, come wash my feet, but he didn't. He gets down on his knees, and he washes their feet. This is the insane paradigm of kingdom thinking. The word that Paul uses there for bond servant, it's not servant. It's slave. Paul is saying, I am choosing to become a slave to you, not because I have to. No one's making me be your slave. He says, but I'm choosing to be a slave to you. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for me. Jesus chose to become a servant to win my heart. And now, as an evangelist, Paul says, I will become a servant to you to win your heart. Because that is what God wants to portray about himself to you. What an incredible thing that we are called to do as Christians. Jesus models true servanthood on the cross. Unlike anything else I can think of, think about this. Jesus chose on the cross, to become the refuse of the earth, to become sin, to become the things that you and I have done that are unspeakable. He chose to become sin so that you and I could be cleansed of our sin. He chose to set aside his power and allow the creature to destroy him physically, to ruin him. He, he set aside his power and allowed human beings to mock him, to spit on him. You know what he was doing in that moment? You know what he was doing that while, while his back was being shredded, while he was being mocked with a crown of thorns pressed into his head, while he had spittle running down his cheek, while, while he had all kinds of people laughing at him and they were parting his garments and gambling over all, all these kinds of you know, you know things. You know what he was doing? He was serving why? <laughs> it's beyond me. It's completely beyond me. Why would God of the universe set aside his power and let the creature wreck him, mock him, hurt him? God is the ultimate servant, and Jesus is the ultimate embodiment of God's servant servanthood. We get the same opportunity to embody and model and illustrate the servanthood of God. Listen to Philippians 2.5. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves. In other words, think like this. Okay? Think like this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, talking about Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, a lot of people take that and say, oh, does that mean that Jesus wasn't God? No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that Jesus chose to go low when he could have gone high. Jesus chose to set aside his power. Listen to what Paul says. He says, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. He chose to become nothing. No one made him do it. He chose to become nothing. He chose to submit to the Father. He chose to set aside his power and endure the wrath of God, the the, the persecution of man. He chose to do it, taking on the form of a servant, or doulos, slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. (laughs) What a servant. He paid for the sin of man by allowing the worst of man's sin to wreck him. The worst possible thing man could think of to crucif- was to crucify someone. The most worst way of murdering someone anyone could think of was crucifixion. The ultimate illustration of the evil heart of man, Jesus said, I'm going to use that to save you. I'm going to use you to save you from the very thing that makes you want to kill me in the first place. What a servant. And what Jesus is doing in that moment is he's wiping mud off the feet of these disciples Is he's showing them in a small way what he's about to show them in about eight hours, ten hours. Ah, He loved them to the end, man. What a servant. What a servant. Jesus not only modeled his servanthood in the cross, he also modeled his servanthood in the Incarnation that he set aside his divinity. He was still God, but choosing to inhabit a human body, choosing to set aside his power for 33 years and walk in a human body was a great and amazing testimony of a servant. Now, four quick implications to this for you and I, because that's all very theological, okay? So yeah, Jesus is a great servant. What does that mean for you and I as Christians? Four quick implications, if you're taking notes. Number one, a true true servanthood is the call of the Christian, regardless of whether you want it to be or not. Okay? The call of Christians is to do exactly what Jesus did, and to say, yes, I may have authority, but that doesn't mean that I am to exercise it. Yes, I may have preeminence over certain relationships. That doesn't mean that I'm supposed to exercise it. You might say, my family's not serving me. My wife is not loving me. My wife is not responding to me. Uh, My church is not giving to me. My church is not serving to me. My employees are not respecting me. My friendships are not honoring me, so I will not serve them. You, as a believer, are to serve regardless of whether or not They are deserving. Jesus served those that were beating him by going to the cross to pay for their sins. We are to serve regardless of whether or not someone deserves it. Consider this. Jesus is about to go to the cross. If there's ever a moment where he should be able to sit and get a foot washing, it's right then. How many times, you know, you get home or whatever, and you say, like, if ever there was a time that I should just be served right now, I had a long day, it's hard, why do I need to get up and serve? Why do I need to serve? Why can't someone serve me? Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he takes that moment to get on his knees and serve. That's the moment he chooses to do it. If we think for a minute about what we deserve, it, it will completely keep us from being servants. The second thing I want you to, to, to maybe write down is, True servanthood is Jesus' plan of rep- of representation to the world. Okay. Us, the way that we serve each other, the way that we serve the world, is how God intends to share the gospel with the world. In verse 20, which we didn't get to, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me, the one who sent me. This is this is Jesus' conclusion to this, um, this foot washing. In other words, he's saying, the reason I'm doing this is because I'm going to send you out to represent me. And if, if you're going to represent me, you've got to get this right. So church, listen, if we're going to represent Christ, we have got to learn to be a servant like Christ. We have to understand how to be a servant like Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ. And here's the craziest thing. When I think of an ambassador and what an ambassador is supposed to represent, I think that ambassador must represent the full power of that country. So if we send an ambassador over to North Korea, man, that ambassador better come just showing that we have power and that we will knock them out if they decide to shoot a nuclear bomb, right? I mean, like, you better just represent power, right? So you and I are the representatives of the kingdom of God. Is that how God wants to be represented by you and I? Strangely, no. He says, I don't want you to represent my power. I don't need anyone to represent my power. Look at the stars. He says, Christians, believers, I want you to represent my willingness to set aside my power. That's what I want you to represent. That's how I want you to be an ambassador for me. That's what will illustrate to people the heart of God. You are a representation to the world of the servanthood of God. Just like Jesus was. Number three, True servanthood is required of believers at every socioeconomic level. Okay, here's where this, this, this starts to really hit home. Okay, so, so you think, um, okay, a servant just means I have to submit to whoever's above me, right? No. Being a servant means that at every level that you are, whether you're the boss or whether you work for the boss, whether you're the father or whether you're the kid. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 5 and 6. He starts talking about Submission. In, in serving. And serving, and he basically says, he says, slaves honor your masters, and the masters go, yeah, that's right. And then he says, masters, take care of your servants, serve your servants. And then he moves into to, to children. He says, children, obey your parents, and the parents go, that's right. Serve your parents, listen to your parents, obey your parents. And then he doesn't stop there. He says, parents, don't provoke your children to wrath. Yeah. Children need to serve their parents, and parents need to serve their children. There is no relationship on this earth that does not have a sense of submission. Every relationship. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. The most culturally uh, scandalous thing you could possibly say nowadays, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. Man, that's terrible. Yeah, and husbands, serve your wives like Christ loved the church. (laughs) You think you're getting off the hook? Everyone is to serve Whether you're in the leadership position or the following position, you are to serve. All of us are to submit, even within the Trinity, the Godhead submits to one another. Isn't that incredible? Jesus submitted his will to the Father. You are practicing for eternity. When I was a kid, my mom taught me to submit. She said, I'm teaching you to submit so that you can learn to submit to God. God is teaching me to submit on earth so that I can learn to submit in heaven. If you think that that's not freedom, you don't understand Christianity. To be a Christian, to be a free Christian is to submit to God's will. That is freedom. For the believer, that's oxygen. We must be submitted to God the Father. And we must submit, Ephesians says, to one another as well. We serve each other. Now let me ask you, bosses, are you serving Now, this doesn't mean that you have to be the one to go in and clean the bathroom every day, okay? This doesn't mean that you have to be the one that takes the lowest job. No, you probably have things that are important that you need to focus on. But bosses, are you serving your employees? Are you putting their needs ahead of yours? Are you considering them? Parents, are you serving your kids as Jesus did, going low, getting on the floor, choosing to empty himself, Wives, are you serving your husbands? Husbands, are you serving your wives? Citizens of this country, are we serving our country not because we have to, because we get to? And you might ask, well, how do I know if I'm a servant? I heard it said before, as soon as someone treats you like one, you'll know. You'll know. Someone tells you to do something that you think's beneath you, and you react in a certain way, Probably not probably not a servant in that moment. It happens to me all the time. Number four, true servanthood is serving serving whomever God has called you to serve. Now, this is the tricky one, okay? Sam, who am I supposed to serve? Does that mean that I got to go wash everyone's feet in the world? No. Jesus washed the feet of his own. And then he told them what? To wash the feet of what? Each other. Okay, so now I'm not saying that you got to go serve everyone. But you are to serve whom God has put in front of you to serve. If you are married, you serve your spouse. don't care what they've done to you, you serve them. You're called to serve them. You're called to serve your kids. You're called to serve those that you are in relationship. You are called to serve the body of Christ, regardless of how much you don't like them. Regardless of how much you feel like your church has hurt you, you are called to serve that church, the way Christ served his. The reason that I'm getting that from this text is because who else did Jesus, what, what other person's feet did Jesus wash? He, he didn't just wash the disciples that were true and righteous. It makes it very clear in John 13 that we just read, verse two. During the supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Jesus already knows, man, He knows Judas is going to betray him. Verse 11, for he knew who he was to betray. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 18, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate bread has lifted his heel against me. All throughout this night, as Jesus is washing their feet, he keeps alluding to the fact that Judas is going to betray him. He knows he's going to do it. He still washes his feet. He's not like, hey, get out of here, man. You're not worthy. Go betray me. Do your thing. It's not what he says. He loved him to the very end. <laughs> and I can't help but think Jesus is like, maybe this will win him over. Maybe my goodness will break that heart. Maybe this could bring repentance. And Judas sat there and watched, watched Jesus on his knees in his underwear, washing the mud off his feet and thinking in his head, I, I, I'm still going to go betray this man. He served him anyways. Now, guys, listen, I don't care how hard it is. Jesus has called us to serve. I do care how hard it is. It is hard. Jesus has called us to serve one another. He has called us to love the church. A lot of us are really unloving to the church. We complain about the church. I'm not just talking about heritage. I'm just talking about church complain about the church, the church this, the church that we are called to serve the church, to serve one another. We are called to serve our spouse, serve our parents, no matter what they have done to us. Jesus still washed. You can't tell me that the person you're thinking of right now is any worse than Judas. <laughs> you can't tell me that. Jesus washed his feet anyways. It is not for us to decide who we serve. It is for God. Now, there's still one last question here that we need to answer, Okay. And that is, how do we become a servant like Jesus? Okay, hopefully I've made a case here, that the scriptures have made a case here, that Jesus was an incredible servant, that the king found himself on his knees because he wanted to. It's incredible. If I've made a case for that, the question has to be answered. How do we become servants? That's great, Sam. How do I become a servant like Jesus? Well, there's a a section here that I skipped over, and I want you to look at it. It's probably the more famous part of this. As Jesus is washing their feet, right? In verse 5, he's washing their feet, towel wrapped around him. He's washing them. Now everyone in there is feeling uncomfortable. Everyone in there is like, this is weird, Jesus. Why are you doing this? No one has what it takes to speak up, though, right? Except for one guy. (laughs) You'll never guess who that guy is. Everyone in there wants to say something. Jesus, what are you doing? Stop this. It's so weird. Just cut it out. And there's only one guy in there that has the bravery or the stupidity, however you want to say it, to pipe up and go, ah, oh, excuse me, you're not washing my feet, and it's Peter. Right? Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, everything, <laughs> said to him what everyone else was thinking. Lord, you wash my feet? This is weird. Verse 7, Jesus answers him, Peter... What I'm doing, you don't know. You don't understand. But afterwards, you'll understand. Okay, so Jesus is kind of nice at first. He's like, hey, man, just, Peter, come here. I'm just trying to teach you a lesson. You'll get it later. Just let me do it. And Peter, his wheels are turning, right? And he's like, this has got to be a trick question. He's like, Jesus is trying to trick me. He's trying to see if I'm really going to let him wash my feet because there's no way. And in the, everything I know about life, there's no way that the king washes the servant's feet. There's no way that the, creation, the creator washes the creation's feet. That's too weird. It doesn't make any sense. It's, something's up here. So Peter stands his ground. He says, after Jesus even tells him that, verse 8, he says, Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And then it gets really weird. Then Jesus said to him, If I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me. You ever have a moment where like you're just goofing off with somebody and and you like make fun of them or something and then all of a sudden they get really serious and you're like, whoa, dude, I was just kidding around. Like, just calm down. Have you ever had a moment like that with someone? That's how Peter feels right now. He's like, dude, I was just saying maybe you shouldn't wash my feet because that's kind of weird and you're God and I don't know. That's just kind of strange. And then all of a sudden Jesus is like, hey, if I don't wash your feet, you're like Judas. You have no part with me. And Peter just gets really kind of worried. And he's like, okay. And in this moment, Peter's mind shifts. He's like, well, maybe Jesus isn't trying to show me that he's a servant. Maybe he's trying to, oh, he's trying to give me a ceremonial bath. Okay. Because now Jesus is talking about how if, 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 you don't, if I don't let him wash me, then I'm not clean. So uh, or I have no part with him. So... He says, okay, Jesus, well, don't just wash my feet. Wash my head. Wash my hands. Now, that's not random. That's, that's the, the the Hebrew understanding of how you make someone ceremonially clean. The, the head for all the things that they've thought. The hands for all the things that they've touched. The feet for all the places that they've walked. And Peter is saying, okay, Lord, if that's how it's going to be, give me a bath. <laughs> and Jesus is just shaking his head. And he says, Simon Peter he said, Jesus said to him, verse 10, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, speaking of Judas. Why does Jesus get so intense there? Why does he get so, so kind of crazy in that moment? Not crazy, but you know, why does he get so intense? And here's what I think. And there's lots of different interpretations of this. First of all, Jesus is trying to signal that what he is about to teach him is very important. Okay, That, that being a servant is very, very important. Everything to do with how important this is. It, to be, I'll say it like this, to be a true servant like Jesus, you must first truly be served. To be a true servant like Jesus, you must first truly be served. And what Jesus is saying in that moment is he's saying, Peter, If you don't let me serve you, you can never be served. I'm sorry, if you don't let me serve you, you'll never be a true servant. You have to let me serve you, Peter. Being served by Jesus in that moment went against everything that Peter Peter knew about humanity. It, it It was weird for him. In the exact same way, when the gospel is presented to you and I, we squirm. As non-believers, before we, before we get saved, we, we hear the gospel and we squirm. And even as Christians, it's still, it's just weird. Like, this can't be true. It can't be true, God, that you want to serve me. It's just too weird. You're God. I mean, let me serve you. Let me work for you. Let me do it. Let me do some stuff. Let me earn my salvation a little bit. Let me just, let me just do some good religious practice. Jesus, You know, Peter would have not, had no qualms about washing Jesus' feet, but it's so uncomfortable for him to have Jesus wash his feet. It's exactly the same reason why when the gospel is presented to you and I, we instantly go, that can't be right. There must be something I have to do. There's no way that Jesus is going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, hey, buddy, to be a believer, you have to let me wash your feet. The gospel does not start with you doing something for me. It starts with me doing something for you. It starts with you being humble enough to recognize that you need me to wash you. Now, you're already clean, Peter. You're already saved. Okay, you've been justified. But as a believer, you've got to let me serve you every day. There, there's a, a point in the Gospels earlier where the disciples are arguing about who's going to be best. And they come to Jesus and they say, hey, who's, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to sit at your right hand? And you know what Jesus does? He goes and he picks up a kid and he says, you got to be like this. Why does he do that? He does that because a kid has to be served. A kid has he, a kid can only survive, can only exist if his parents take care of him. What Jesus was trying to say is, he says, "If you want to be great, you got to be like a kid with me. You got to depend on me every day, every minute, every hour." Okay. I love what Jeff always says. He says that that you know we raise our kids to move out. Jesus raises his kids to stay. <laughs> He raises us to become more and more dependent on him. He doesn't want us to become independent. The gospel is that we live in dependency more and more and more every day. What he's telling Peter is he's saying, Peter, you need me to wash your feet. You're never gonna be a servant unless you let me wash your feet. He's not talking about salvation. He's not talking about justification. He's talking about a daily coming and a dependency on God. Every day we need it. I remember doing a foot washing years back. And it was truly, it was not that weird to wash people's feet, but it was so weird <laughs> to have people wash my feet. It was so weird. I just was like, oh no, dude, you don't gotta wash my it's cool, you're good. You know, don't <laughs> it's just weird. The squirm that Peter felt, everything uncomfortable in is exactly the same thing that we feel. The call of the believer to serve is a call of lifelong dependency. I remember, uh, and I'll close with this, I just remember um, before I got saved, I was um, somehow roped into doing this internship uh, where I was really going to serve for two weeks, like really going to serve. And, and I thought it was going to be something else, I thought it was going to be fun and camp and whatever, and... It ended up being, you know, mopping and trash and all this kind of stuff, and and I was given the title of servant. I'm like, yeah, okay, you're you're in a servant position. You know, you go serve. The problem is, I was not a servant. I just wasn't. And it was in this place that I got saved. And and I remember specifically thinking I was mopping a floor, and and I was very angry at myself. And I've probably told you this story before, but I was very angri- angry at myself and very angry at the world. And and um. And I knew God was calling me to, to follow him, and I just couldn't seem to, just couldn't seem to make the, the turn there. Everything in me um, knew I was supposed to obey God. I just couldn't seem, couldn't seem to do it. And, and I remember thinking, what is, it, what is it that's keeping me from God right now? And I remember thinking, I just can't believe that he can fix me. I just can't believe, like, like I, I, just, I just can't believe that he can really take me the way that I am. And I grew up in a gospel home, I grew up knowing the gospel. I knew the truth, but everything in my being was resisting this idea that God wanted me exactly how I was. It was just too weird, too uncomfortable there's no way God wants me the way I am. there's no way. there's got to be something I have to do. there's no way. And I knew there was th- th- that there was no way that in my strength, I could actually become good enough to feel like I was good enough for God. I just knew that. and in, in an instant, the Holy Spirit came and just broke that chain and allowed me to realize that God wanted me exactly how I was. You know what happened in that moment? I just said, okay, wash my feet. I know it's uncomfortable. It doesn't seem to make any sense why the king is on his knees right now, but I'm going to let you do it. And as believers, we have to come to that crisis every single day because we'll never be servants if we don't. As believers, we have to come to that crisis where we say, I cannot do this on my own. Jesus, I need you to serve me so that I can serve others. I need to humble myself and be served by you. That is why Jesus was so intense about this. He said, Peter, you gotta let me serve you. You gotta. And I just wanna plead with you guys. I just wanna plead with you guys. God is waiting for you to let him fix some things in your life. God is waiting for you to like, trust him enough to actually give him the stuff that you've been holding on to, the things that you don't feel like you can truly move through. He's saying, let me wash your feet. Let me serve you. Let me into that stuff. Let me clean you up. Let me fix you up. Trust me. Everything I have done, everything I am doing, everything I will do, I have done because I have loved you. I no longer call you servant. I call you friend. Let me serve you so that you can serve others. Amen? Let's all stand, guys. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this example that we have seen in the scriptures. We thank you, Jesus, that you chose to serve us. I I don't know that I'll ever fully understand why, why you chose to set aside your power. You chose to love the unlovable and you chose to love me while I was still an enemy of you. But I thank you for it. I pray that we would go from this place and truly seek to serve one another, to serve those that we are called to serve because we've seen how you do it and who you are. And Lord, as you serve us, that we would truly go and do the same. Lord, I just thank you for the gospel. It's such good news. It's such overwhelming news that it's hard to believe. And I just thank you for heritage, God. I thank you for how you're working. I pray that we would be a, ch- a church that is humble, that looks like Jesus, and that people would know us and think that those people, they just they just look like Jesus. They talk like Jesus. They think like Jesus. It's our prayer, Lord. So, God, we love you tonight, and we just pray you'll bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a good one, guys.